Yeah, I tell you, as spending 15 years pastoring and, and being in ministry as long as I have, it sounds weird to say that Christmas and Easter are those times that are the hardest to come up with a message. Um, you know, because a lot of times it's sometimes maybe the only message people hear for a year. Um, but, you know, there's only so much sometimes you feel like you can say that hasn't already been said. So, you know, with that, I don't think I'm going to necessarily talk about anything unique this morning, but I want us to maybe look from a different perspective. Um, You know, I've heard all kinds of messages. I've heard messages on the resurrection. I've heard messages condemning the Easter bunny. You know, I mean, it just, there's there's all kinds of wide ranges there as to what God calls us to, to look at and to talk about. And I know as as you look at uh, today's title, you know, it's living the truth of the resurrection. And go on to the next slide. This might be intimidating. Romans 6 through 8. You go, oh my goodness, we're going to be here till 4 o'clock in the afternoon. He's covering three whole chapters of the scripture, so we're never going to make it out. Um, but as I think through today's message, I think to me the key verse in Romans 6 through 8 Is found in chapter 6, verse 4, and it says this. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, I'm going to ask you some questions. I do expect a response. Give me a chance to repeat your response so that it will be recorded um, and I also ask you not in your response to name anybody. You know, if you have somebody in mind, don't throw their name out. We're not, we're not doing that today. Um, but as I think through this question and this, this, this topic, what should newness of life look like? It's not a rhetorical question. Different, changed. I'm joyful. Sorry, I'm deaf on this left side, huh? Glorious, kindness, 180. Not like the old life. Jesus, okay? Should look like Jesus. So let's go to the second question. Have you witnessed this in people's lives? And if so, how? Honor to meet them. Okay, you can see changes in their lives. Quit drinking. Humble. Gave hope. Less cussing. Notice we didn't quit. We just did laugh. I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. Living a more Christian life. Unconditional love. Okay? So with that in mind, 
how do we walk in newness of life? I mean, are we that much different because of what Christ has done in our lives? You know, I talked about this a few weeks ago, and I've mentioned this several times, that I had someone time, a lady one time say, Wade, you're just such a nice guy. And that's always good to hear, but it scared me. Because I don't want my life to be known by my upbringing. I don't want my life to be known by, you're a nice guy, you hold the door open for ladies, you're, you're kind to elders. Because those are things that my parents instilled in me that are, may or may not have anything to do with a relationship with Christ. Because there's a lot of things we can do where we're nice and we're kind and we're, we're good, but there's no difference in our life. We're not walking in a new lifestyle. And see, the reason we're covering Romans 6 through 8 this morning, we're going to cover them kind of quickly, but I also want us to understand when Paul writes this book, if you've ever read the book of Romans, the first three chapters are pretty bleak. I mean, he starts off basically saying, every single person you'll ever meet is a sinner. And he goes through a big list, and some of the lists we look at and go, well, yeah, I know somebody like that, they're definitely a sinner. But then right after that he goes, but for those of you who are saying, yeah, I know somebody like that, you're the same way. And if you're making judgment, you're the exact same way. And it's, well, well, I'm better because I know the Bible. Well, okay, for those of you who know the Bible, you know, without Christ, you're the same way. And he comes down to the idea that every one of us are lost. And then he kind of goes, he talks about being justified by faith in chapter 4. In chapter 5, he makes this comparison between those who are in Adam and those who are in Christ. There's a lot of theology there, a lot of things that maybe we get confused on. But then he comes to chapter 6, and he asks a very strange question here at the beginning. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Are we to continue in sin? Because he basically has said, you're justified by faith. I mean, I grew up in a tradition, and I still believe it theologically, but I grew up in a tradition that said, once saved, always saved. You know, and the the bumper sticker that says, I'm not perfect, just forgiven. And so the idea is, I can live however I want, because I'm forgiven. Praise God, hallelujah, I can do whatever I stinking well want because I'm already set. And that is not what it means. Paul says here, just because of grace, should we keep sinning because we're saved by grace? By no means. No, we shouldn't. There should be a change in our lifestyle. Just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. True or false? Jesus raised himself from the dead. False. Jesus was dead. Had no power to raise himself from the dead. The Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. So if we're saying just as Christ was raised from the dead, so we too must walk in newness of life, it comes down to it's not based on us. 
It's not based on me just deciding one day I'm going to be better. I'm going to be nicer. I'm going to hold more doors open for people. I'm going to quit cussing. I'm going to do these things because I can do it. No, it's just as Christ was raised from the dead, we walk in newness of life. So chapter 6 talks about our union with Christ. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you when we get to chapter 8. I didn't change the slides, so it'll still take chapter chapter 7. But don't don't worry about that. Um, You know, chapter 6 is our union with Christ. It, It discusses basically how can we have victory? How is this possible for us to walk in newness of life? Well, first thing is, he says there's certain things we need to know. Certain things we need to know. Verses 3 through 5 says this. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. When Christ died on the cross... Those of us who have a relationship with him died with him. When he was raised from the dead, those of us who have a relationship with him were raised with him. It's based on our union with Christ. We know this to be true. How do we know it to be true? Because it says it right here. Not necessarily because we've experienced it, I don't know what it was like to die with Christ and to rise with him. But the scripture says I did. And so we know it to be true. What else do we know to be true? Verses 6 through 8. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we should no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin... Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Now, this sounds good. If we've died with him, we've done away with sin, one version says. Is that true? (laughs) I mean, basically what it says is sin is rendered powerless, is what that word means. Doesn't mean that we're done away with it, we never sin. It has no more power over us. Because we've been united with Christ, sin no longer has power over us. And you say, well, Wade, I don't believe that. (laughs) Because every day I'm tempted and it seems like there's nothing I can do to not give in. It seems to have this hold on me. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes as to why it has a hold on you. But it doesn't have to have a hold on you. So I think that's where we begin to make the mistake is, yes, we still sin. Yes, we still mess up from time to time. But according to the scriptures, sin no longer has that power to control us unless we give it that power to control us. Because we have died with Christ. Our sin died on that cross with him because of our union with him. And then verses 9 and 10, it says this. We know that Christ has been raised from the dead. Excuse me. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. 
but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. So he says, one thing we need to know is, when Christ died, he died once for all. He doesn't have to keep dying on a daily basis. He died for our sins. And so knowing that, we know that our sin died with him. So the first thing we need to understand in union with Christ is there's certain things we need to know. We need to understand that this is the truth. But then verse 11, he says, but consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Consider. It's a math term. It's an it's a accounting term. How many of you here are, anybody here an accountant? Nobody's here an accountant. Okay, anybody, okay, man, accountant. An accountant term is you reckon it to be true. In other words, when you go to the, the store and you take your debit card out and you stick it in that little machine, you are reckoning on the fact that there's money to back that up. When the person across the way gets that look on their face and you go, oh crud, I reckoned there was money on this account, but I'm reckoning wrong. But you reckon on the fact that Christ, you consider the fact that Christ did all this for us. And because of that, we consider ourselves, we reckon on the fact that we are dead to sin. You say, what does that mean, I'm dead to sin? We've already said that it, it does have a hold on us from time to time. But it doesn't have to have a hold on us from time to time. I used this illustration a couple weeks ago. I've been to a lot of funerals. 30-some-odd friends and family members who have died over the years, not counting the fact that I pastor and had to do other funerals. And I've never, no matter what anybody does to that body in that casket, some just kind of ignore it, some kiss it, some talk to it. I've never seen one respond. Hope I don't ever see one respond. But I've never seen one respond. Why? Because they are dead. And when you're dead to sin, you do not have to respond to the temptation. Because you're dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Our union with Christ helps us to know certain things, that we died with him, that we rose together with him, that we don't have to give in to sin. Therefore, we consider ourselves dead to sin. But then we come to the next word, which is the word present. Not present, but present. Because he goes on in the rest of chapter 6 to talk about too many times we still present ourselves to sin. We say, like we've talked about before, how close, you know, teenagers used to ask, how far can we go before we've gone too far? My answer always was, you already have. If you're asking that question, you've already gone too far because you want to know, can I go just a little bit further? But we all do it. We give teenagers a hard time. But we all say, how much can I flirt with this sin and not go over the edge? How much can I just keep trying, you know, just a little bit. I'm just going to play around with it a little bit here. But then we go over the edge. And Paul goes on to say, quit presenting yourselves to sin as members of our righteousness. Verse 12. Excuse me. Yeah, verse 12. Let not sin reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from the death to life 
and your members as to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin shall not have dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. See, there's two different ways he's using the word there. Now, in English, it's hard to see the difference. But when he talks about sin, he's using a word that is a once for all. Quit presenting yourselves to sin. Stop doing it right now. But then he says to go on presenting yourselves to God for righteousness. It's a daily thing. When temptation comes, don't do it. Stop. Quit. You say, wait, that's easier said than done. You're right. Sometimes it's hard to not give in. But it's not required that we give in. We are dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So we do not have to. He says, quit presenting yourselves to sin, but go on presenting yourselves to God in righteousness. And a daily lifestyle, living in that newness of life that he says that we can do. Now, can we do it on our own? No, it's because of our union with Christ. You say, wait, that's so exciting. I'm glad to know that. I'm going to try so much better tomorrow. I'm going to go out here and I'm just going to, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm going to do it now. No. That's why chapter 7's there. Because chapter 7 talks about the law. That's what the Jews did. The Jews said, hey, you know what? We'll just follow the law. We'll try our best to follow the law. Scripturally, there's nowhere that we were ever required in the Old Testament to follow the law for salvation. The law was there. Why? As a mirror, basically, to say, you know what? You're not measuring up. You know, you've looked at that, that magazine and you said, you know what? I'm not as pretty as she is. I don't have as many muscles as he does. I'm not measuring up. Well, this is, you're looking at the mirror of Christ. And you're going, I don't measure up. That's the purpose of the law. But you say, well, I'm, I'm going to try to live by the law. Well, we need to understand the hardness of the law. Verses 1 through 6 of chapter 7. See, we're covering pretty quickly here. Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, and if she marries another man, she is an adulteress. You say, well... Why are we talking about marriage here, Wade? Because it's just an illustration, all right? He's saying the law has a binding on us as long as we're sticking underneath that law. But because we have died with Christ, we're not under that law anymore. Verse 6, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. He says there's two different ways we can live. We can live by the written code, or in other places he talks about living by the flesh, or we can live by the Spirit. And then he goes on for the rest of chapter 7, and in chapter 8, he talks about how the, he, he makes a distinction between those two. See, we tend to always go to Romans chapter 7, those of us who know it, and almost use that as a justification for giving in to sin. Well, see, Paul says he struggled. I mean, in Romans chapter 7, Paul says, well, the, the thing I want to do, I don't do. The thing I don't want to do, I keep doing. Well, if Paul 
you know, keeps giving in to sin, I might as well too. But that's not his point. His point is, yes, this side of eternity, we are still going to struggle with sin. But verse verse 25 of chapter 7 says this. Very powerful verse. After he's gone through this whole struggle, he says, Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. You see, there's the hardness of the law. Pull those three up for me. Go ahead and pull up all three. I know I told you just to be flexible today. Um, There's the hardness of the law, the weakness of the law, and the righteousness of the law. Paul says there's nothing wrong with the scriptures. There's nothing wrong with the law. The point is if I try to do it on my own, I cannot do it. I do the wrong thing every time, or I I don't do the right thing. I go back, I can't fulfill the law on my own. But thanks be to God through Christ Jesus who gives me the ability. And then we get to Romans chapter 8. And we're all familiar with the end of Romans chapter 8 where it says, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. But we kind of skip over the first part. And Romans chapter 8 tells us basically how to be delivered from sin, how to walk in newness of life. And he says, basically, it's because we walk by the Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. He basically sums up in those first four verses what he's been saying so far. There's no condemnation for those who are united with Christ. For the law of the spirit has given us the life that we need to live. The Holy Spirit lives in and through us so that we live the way Christ has called us to live. It's not based on the law because the law was weak and could not do it. But Christ came under the law. Galatians chapter 4 says he was born under the law. Christ came under the law to die so that the law no longer is binding upon us. And we don't walk according to the law, but we walk according to the Spirit. You say, Wade, what on earth are you talking about? Now, I know he was not expecting this, and it may embarrass the daylights out of him, but Ethan, come here a minute. (laughs) I'm not going to make you do anything really crazy, all right? Hopefully. Um, This is Ethan, all right? Now, Ethan is going to do something with me real quick. Ethan, you see Miss Larissa back there? She's the one writing notes and waving her hand at us. We're going to walk back there towards her. You think we can handle that? All right, let's go. All right. We made it. Good job. Now we're going to walk back up here. You ready? Let's go. Come on. Quick. Come on. Come on. Come on. Hurry up. Go. Go. Come on. Quick. Okay. All right. Now you can have a seat, Ethan. Very good. All right. I'll give Ethan a hand. See, the point is, when Ethan is not trusting me and trusting in himself, then he gets tripped up. And we're trying to follow the law, we get tripped up and do the wrong thing. But when we walk with the Spirit, 
We're keeping in step with him. How many military or law enforcement folks we have here? When you're going through the training, you, you have to keep in step, don't you? You got to keep in step. Or if you mess up, then everybody in line gets messed up. We got to keep in step with the Spirit. It's daily, moment by moment, saying, Lord, what do I do here? And how do I do it? And give me the strength to do it. Next moment, Lord, what do I do here? How do I do it? Give me the strength to do it. Now, do you every day for the rest of your life have to constantly ask that question? I don't believe so. I believe it's just like we do with our children. When your children are first learning to walk, you're holding their hands. And they're stumbling and stammering and you're, you're helping them along. And then they finally decide, hey, I can do this on my own. And they take a couple of steps and they trip. And you catch them. And you help them walk a little bit more. And you let go and they eventually... But you know what? When your kids are 18, they don't want you to do that anymore. When you're an adult, you don't want mom and dad holding your hands. Go, hey, come on, let's walk. Because you learn the principles. And you learn to walk on your own. Now, we never learn to walk on our own in the sense of leaving the Holy Spirit out. But as we mature in Him, then we learn that we don't have to have somebody holding our hands constantly. We understand and know what He wants. We know His desire. We know how to follow Him. And so we walk in step with Him. You know, The Apostle Paul was not a super saint in the sense that anything was different about him than about you and me. The Apostle Paul accomplished a lot. God used him in powerful ways. A few weeks ago, we watched a funeral procession for a man that for 70 some odd years led people to the Lord in crusades. And everybody lifts up Billy Graham as this paragon of the faith and who we should follow. But if Billy Graham could stand here today, and if Apostle Paul could stand here today, they would both tell you, do not follow me. Now, I know Paul said, follow me, but he said, follow me as I follow Christ. They both would tell you that it's not based on how good they are. It was based on the fact that on a daily, moment by moment, they were surrendered to the Holy Spirit to lead them. You see, when we come to Sunday mornings, see, this this Sunday, we're here for Easter Sunday morning. But every Sunday morning, we are here celebrating Easter It's not the one that's marked on the calendar. But we meet on Sunday mornings because Christ rose from the dead on Sunday morning. And Christ even said, if I stay here with you as a man, it's not going to be as good for you as if I die and rise again and go away and I send the Holy Spirit to be with you. Because even though Christ was God in the flesh, he could only impact the people who were in the same room with him at one time. He had to travel by foot all over Israel. He could only sit and talk to a group of people. The most we know of is 5,000 in one shot. But when he died and rose again and sends the Holy Spirit, 
Every one of us can talk to him at the exact same time. Everybody all over the world. Because he's given us of his Holy Spirit. That's how we walk in newness of life. That's what Easter is about. We could do a message on showing you all the evidence to prove that the resurrection was true. We can, we can do all, and those are good things to go back and look at and study. But the point is not being able to defend in a court of law the resurrection. The point is, as he said, just as Christ was raised from the dead, so we too might walk in newness of life. Now, a couple of things that we need to understand. If you're sitting here today and you're saying, you know what? I've never given my heart and life to Jesus Christ. I've never died with him so that I can live again. I've never taken that to be true for my life. Then everything we've talked about this morning cannot happen for you until you do that. You need a relationship with Jesus Christ. But if you're sitting here this morning and you say, you know what? Once saved, always saved. I did that when I was a kid. I've given my heart to the Lord and, and I'm set and secure for eternity so I can just sit back and do whatever I want to do. That's not biblical either. We're called to walk in newness of life. In Romans 8, it talks about positionally we're already there. But then he gives out a practical daily living it out steps. So the question for this morning, as we get ready to, to leave here this morning, is where do you stand? Do you need a relationship with Jesus Christ? If you do, let's get that right today. If you have a sin in your life that you just can't seem to overcome, you can't consider it dead, but you're alive to Christ Jesus, let's talk about that. Let's surrender that today and say, Lord, give me the strength to live for you. Or maybe you're just saying, you know what, I just need the Holy Spirit to give me a daily walk that looks better, that, that honors him and, li- and worships him more. See, the point of coming together on Sunday mornings is not so we can just come and hang out together and come and sing some songs and come and watch somebody stand up front and talk about the Bible. Just as Christ was raised the dead, so we are called to walk in newness of life. Because I don't want to bring any uh, indictment on the answers that were given this morning. But there are a lot of nice people out there who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. A lot of kind people. A lot of people who don't look that much different than we do. So the, that, the, the issue is not how good we are, how kind we are, how nice we are. The issue is do we have a relationship with Jesus Christ that is giving us the power and the strength to walk in newness of life. Let's pray.